G'day there, guys. Welcome back to the Blowing Cartridges podcast. I am one of your hosts, Zach Clark, and as always, joined by my fellow co-host, Brendan. Brendan, how are you? Oh, no one's ever asked me that. Well, no one has asked me that recently in such a nice way, Zach, so I'll um, give you a good response. I'm, I'm going well, Zach. Well, it's the end of summer. We're going into autumn, and as things cool down, we're outside a lot more. Um, sorry, we're outside a lot less, and I think... I find in those times that you do play more games. I guess we as gamers play a lot of games most of the time of the year, but I'm finding myself playing more games. And I guess with having started a new job recently, my time's a bit less free. I have less free time to go around. So I'm playing shorter games in shorter bursts and I'm enjoying it. I guess I've gone a lot deeper than your initial question, but I hope that answers it, Zach. No, 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 all good. I I figured I'd start with a simple question, given our theme of today is one of simplicity. Well, I didn't give you a simple answer there, so enjoy. (laughs) Clearly, my, my simple question was too complicated. But another simple thing is the concept of a bicycle with one wheel, or as we call a unicycle. And that is a very unsubtle um, way of leaning into our guest, Will. So, Will, thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. And yes, a lot of people may know me as Unicycles or Obtuse Llama if we go that far back, but I try not to think of those times. But hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. And uh, thank you for joining us. And yeah, today's topic is taking things, you know, back back to basics and really talking about you know, the joys of a simple game, you know, something without too many mechanics and how they fare in this, you know, day and age where we've got your beasts like Elden Ring with 50 billion gameplay mechanics happening at once and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was obviously, uh, you know, inspired a little bit by a recent video Will Yourself did on your YouTube channel, which got Brendan and I absolutely, you know, fascinated with the with the topic so thank you for being inspiration for this week's um glad to be of service yeah no really appreciate it but yeah let's let's kick off into discussion i mean games are fascinating in that you know back in the the early you know the 70s and the 80s they were these fairly simple designs like pong you know even things like uh tetris and stuff aren't overly complicated concepts to grasp there's something that anyone can really pick up and play and and learn quite quite fast but these days games have you know thanks to technology are able to do so much more in terms of you know simulating complex economies and systems and and the like i guess where i'd be keen to start up is how do you guys you know do you have a preference between games that are made you know simple concepts easy to grasp versus something that is more on that complex beast hard to grasp and you know you got to sink a bit of time in to learn uh brendan might start with with yourself i think personally it really depends on what mood i'm in because there's times where i'll really just want to tune off a little bit and play something that i wouldn't say i don't have to think about it because let's say i'm playing something like picross or tetris and in those games, you do have to think you're, it's all about fast reflexes. It's all about trying to see the patterns and similar things with shoot 'em ups or shmups, as some will call them. There's that freneticness to the games. Like, yes, it's very pick up and play. Yes, it's very, I don't have to play for that long. I can sort of pick it up and play for half an hour and get enjoyment out of it. But you're still thinking, It's still, there's still depth there, but there's less of a commitment. Whereas if, for example, 
the other sort of games I like to play, your tactical strategy, your JRPGs, those are much more deeper thinking experiences, I think, and even deeper in just a, if I'm going to do a play session of a JRPG, I'm probably going to be sitting there for a couple of hours, or if I pick it up and play it for 30 minutes, I might have only done a few battles and I wouldn't have felt like I really accomplished much or really achieved much. So there's sort of that dichotomy, I find, that they are very different games. They offer different things, and I think that's good. That, that That's a positive thing. It's it's not a sort of, oh, complex games are inherently better than simple games. I think there's a lot more to the discussion if you scrape away the surface. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Will, what about yourself? What's your sort of view on complex versus sort of simple games? Do you have a preference or much like Brendan, and I'm going to suspect a lot of people, it depends on the, the time of day, the mood, and, and what you sort of uh, feel like, you know, giving a crack. Yeah, I think I'd echo some of Brendan's sentiments there. Um, I love a good, complex, crunchy game. I love my Total War. I love sitting there for hours just trying to find out the right strategy and that sort of thing. But I have got a very busy study schedule, and when I come home from the university, sometimes all I've got in me is 30 minutes or... Yeah, maybe an hour, and I just want to throw a few runs into something that's not so in-depth. And on a personal level, I struggle with attention quite a lot. So if I'm going to start something and I'm met with an hour, two hours long of just initially learning a game, just how to be in that world and you know how to meet game goals, I often really struggle with that. So I find I'm more drawn to games that are you know maybe not as mechanically rich starting out. You might not immediately realize how much is going on beneath the surface, but something that I can chip away at fairly casually and then over time develop a mastery for and discover those mechanics as I go on. You know, I think that I also agree. I think echoing both of what you said, I mean, I'm probably more like if you made me pick a team, I probably would side with team simple over team complicated. (laughs) Not because I uh, don't have time for, or sorry, let me take that back. Not because I don't, enjoy a, a complex experience but i i certainly you know same as everyone right as you said limited time limited uh emotional energy sometimes uh you just don't have the capacity to learn a you know the rules and the ways of playing and what objectives there may be in a more complicated game versus you know picking up a something that's at least inherently simple to start with and uh, something that I'm not, you know, feels like it's got lower barriers to entry. Uh, again, like a, a more arcadey kind of game, or uh, again something just like a simple platformer, even uh, where I just have to press A and B and and move a stick around a little bit. I do think the barrier to entry there is the important thing, especially for me. So maybe not simple versus complex as the main barrier, but like, you know, well, what what is that barrier to entry? You know, can I just sit down and have some fun initially, or you know, do I have to sit down and learn for X amount of hours before I can start having fun? And I think that's just something primal there. And it's what Zach mentioned at the very beginning when he was talking about the origins of gaming and in the 70s and 80s, that's what a lot of arcade and particularly console games were all about. Yes, PC games have always been a bit more complex. There was always, well, there was text-based games and early CRPGs and the like, but if you think about your early arcade games like your Pac-Man, Space Invaders and the like and console games like Super Mario Bros and Contra and Mega Man, as you said, there's that ability to just jump in and play. There's that ability to, yes, 
some of those gains are quite hard. Yes, so you could say difficulty is a barrier to entry, but actually picking up the controller and playing and just keep on going at that wall and trying to get over the challenge, that it's not a difficult process to get into. It's not a complex thing to... You don't have to sit down and figure out, well, I have eight buttons on my controller. What? How, do, how does this interact with what I'm seeing on the screen? It's very visceral. It's very just straightforward. And I think that's sort of at the heart of gaming. And it's probably only from the 90s onwards that you... Where you had that merger between, I guess, PC and console games and just consoles could do more things that the complexity started the setting and you got more complex and cinematic. Not just cinematic, but you you got more complex experiences when the technology, I guess, caught up with the ambition of developers. So I think something that's really important with the games is that, well, they're games, they should be fun. You should be able to sit down and immediately start start to have fun. And something that has that low barrier to entry that's immediately obvious what you should do. I think there's a lot of value in that. So just a quick example. Um, the difference between Red Dead Redemption 2 and let's say any old shoot 'em up that you might find at the arcade. Uh, let's go with Dodonpachi. So Dodonpachi, you, you load it up, you put it in front of anybody, they're going to know what to do. There's a ship on the screen, there's enemies kill the enemies as your ship scrolls across the screen, beat the bosses and don't die. There's usually one or two buttons um, for firing and bombing, maybe a third for some other option. Uh, with Red Dead Redemption 2, we know it's a fantastic game. I don't think anyone would really dispute that, but I've had people sit down and play that in front of me and immediately not really know how to engage with that world because the controls are so in-depth. And there's a lot of value in that, but there's also a lot of value in just being able to sit down and play a game. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think what you've both also really highlighted there, like I think a common misconception is people think simple is easy and it's not, right? Because as as you know, you pointed out, Brendan, something like Mega Man might be simple, but they're not an easy game. Um, Or even as you both sort of brought up, you know, shoot 'em ups or shmups, whatever term you want to use. Uh, typically, not always, but typically considered quite challenging games by the way of their structure. But but simple to understand again, as you know, as you just said, we're one or two buttons uh, and maybe a stick or a D pad or something to to move around, and that's that's all you need to get playing and, and going. And it, you know, it just takes maybe one death before you figure out what those two buttons do and and how to move around, and that's that's pretty much it. Versus, yeah, again, like a, a Red Dead or a, a big RPG where you need a tutorial. You need to learn what all the different menus do, uh, what, you know, all of, I, I don't know how many buttons are on a PlayStation controller. I want to say something like, you know, 10 or something at this point, but it's probably uh, even either way, more than two uh, by, by a long stretch. But I think that's that point of difficulty and simplicity aren't necessarily correlated is, is a really key distinction that I think is worth worth making. And just to be clear, there is a lot of value as well in discovery of mechanics. And there are people, myself included, at times who love those big, complicated experiences because the fun is in learning those. Well, exactly. And I'd point out experiences like Breath of the Wild. In that, That's a good example of a game that is able to harness both aspects of that in that there's some simplicity there, but... There's also a lot of depth and there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of things you can do with your, um, oh, what are those powers called? That the ta- What's the tablet in Breath of the Wild uh, called, Zach? The Sheikah Slate, and I guess. Yeah, Sheikah Slate. 
well, there's complexity in what you can do with Shaker Slides. You'll see videos of Breath of the Wild where there's even many years after launch, people have figured out things you can do with fire in that game and things you can do with just rolling rocks around and all manner of different things. That There's sort of layers upon layers of complexity there. And you might argue that some of it sort of, you have to play a lot of it. You have to f- figure out how the game really works to be able to pull those things off. But if there's a player that just dives into Breath of, Wild, Breath of the Wild and plays it for sort of well, 30, 40 hours and finishes it, finishes it and then decides to move on to something else and never goes back to it. Yes, I'll say they had a really good experience. They enjoyed it a lot. And then you'll have the people that pl- has put have put hundreds and hundreds of hours into it and they have a different but also positive experience. So there are games out there that manage to bridge the divide in some ways, I'd argue. No, absolutely, because the best games, in my opinion, are those ones that do seem simple at the outset so you can just get in and start playing around with the tools that you're given, but then allow for you to peel back those layers of complexity. Uh, In Breath of the Wild's case, I think it's particularly enjoyable because... The world acts like you'd expect it to. So there's a lot you can do with the magnetization or just the gravity, all of that stuff. The game gives you these simple tools to interact with it in very complicated ways. And it's up to the player to discover that. I wouldn't necessarily say that Breath of the Wild has the most complicated gaming systems, but it also does allow you to do some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, I think the Breath of the Wild example is a really fascinating one because, yeah, look, again, it's not as simple, again, as a Mario, like a 2D Mario or something, just to learn that. But you're right, you, you know, you don't need to learn its systems to beat the game and just have a great time. Because, uh, as you said, it's just, it has a very uh, complicated, in terms of how they've, I'm sure, programmed it and then how it functions, uh, but like a physics system, right? Like they, they made a big point in the developer interviews around how they really focused on trying to create this semi-realistic physics system in the, in the game. And that's why, you know, you can use the fire to make an updraft and all that kind of stuff and do some cool things there, which probably leans into why in some ways it is kind of intuitive because while it's not a one-to-one, like I'm sure we could get a physicist, there probably already is one. Um, who's gone on YouTube and broken apart how how what happens in Breath of the Wild does not happen in real life. But it's semi-intuitive and close enough. You know, magnets work how you would think magnets would work. You know, you can sort of go, well, if I can do A and I can do B, what if I put A and B together? Will that make C? And it usually does. Uh, and that's where, again, some of the speedrunners and people who have, again, put thousands of hours probably by now into the game have really spent their time sort of mastering and getting to know every little detail of how those relatively complicated like complex systems can work but in a way that you don't have to if you don't want to and uh you can you probably even 100 percent the game without ever realizing the full potential of that system as it's been designed by the developers um which i think is a really interesting you know thing to look at as a as a case study because I think there has been this trend of just adding more for the sake of it or because it's just the most obvious thing to do in terms of like, how do we expand our games? How do we make them, you know, interesting? You know, it's hard to come up with a simple concept that hasn't been done before. In other words, so it's easier to mush together a lot of concepts, uh, which is probably why we have seen, I won't say they're all bloated but an increasing amount of layers and layers of different systems just being sort of added into big triple a games at least 
over the years. I mean, I'm curious to see if that's a, a viewpoint you guys share with me in terms of how things have sort of gone over, over you know, the last, say, five, six, even maybe 10 years at this point, or if, if you think I'm off base. <laughs> uh, bloated is definitely the word that I would use. Um, I'm not particularly a fan of AAA gaming, quote unquote, because a lot of it, it feels like a lot of small things all mashed up together and it doesn't tend to create particularly engaging experiences for me. A lot of it tends to be very cinematic focused and almost on autoplay a lot of the time. And I do find those a little bit too simple for me, despite the illusion that they're not. Uh, I'm not quite sure how to word that. It's an interesting one. Uh, An example, I suppose, I might get some hate for this, but I do not like the Uncharted games. Uh, Great stories, great animations, great visuals top of their game in that regard but a lot of it i feel like they play themselves you push forwards the character does everything for you for the most part and yet they're sort of lauded as these massive experiences and i just i don't see the gameplay in them because it's a little bit too simple for me because i don't have any really interesting decisions to make no i definitely get that and i think yeah i apologize i'm struggling to word it but um no i know know what you mean the art like the it's that cinematic element of some games. I think that games are all about having these big set pieces and it's about, I guess, you experience it once and, yes, you might have memories of it. You might think, oh, I remember that epic moment when Nathan Drake jumped over... I, I did a quick-time event and I jumped over a disintegrating plane and saved the day and just killed some baddie or whatever the set piece is. But do you really want to play that more than once? Do you really... Is there a compelling reason to keep on going back there? Is there a compelling reason to continue on to the next set piece? Like, I think some people enjoy those sort of experiences. Some people like to be wowed and you can play a 15-hour game, you can feel satisfaction from that and then you can trade it in and move on to the next big thing. But I echo your thoughts in that. I think, for me, I, I want to have that interactivity. I want to have that feeling that just from a gameplay experience, perspective i've i've accomplished something that it's yes i'm i might be experiencing a great cinematic moment i might be experiencing a really deep and meaningful story but there's an element of it that i i want i want to have agency i want to be able to say well yes i'm getting the payoff and it's because i had to go through the difficult steps to get to that payoff if you know what i mean yeah i think that's again another really interesting example because simplicity i guess can take a number of forms and i think the Uncharted series, as you said, kind of, again, while I'm not trying to, I guess, how do I put it? I don't want to offend any developers out there because I'm sure, again, to achieve what Uncharted is was quite complicated and actually is there's a ton behind it to make it look and play as smoothly as it does. But the simplicity in terms of, like, as you said, it's just going from point A to point B, kind of like being on a, on a ride at a theme park in some respects is another form of simplicity. You know, it's it's not always about purely only having one or two gameplay mechanics. You know, Uncharted, you still have to learn how to shoot and co- take cover and all that kind of stuff, how to climb, how to drive a car or a vehicle at certain points. But because all, you know, you've got this, this railroad of the way you need to go, that simplicity lends itself to probably being more on the, you know, edge of like, oh, I've just got home from work, I'm super tired, let me turn on Uncharted because I know I'll at least be able to get from this section of the game to the next within 20 minutes uh, and I'll feel like I've 
experienced or achieved something for the for the evening you know that is in a, in a way its own form of simplicity which i don't think is always i guess understood or appreciated maybe um again particularly by people who just look at the graphics and the cinematics and they think how can you call this simple i suppose mm. i think a big part of it is how many interesting decisions is the player being asked to make even in uh quote unquote simple game you can have a lot of very interesting decisions be it just risk and reward or pathing or any number of things to me in these triple a games that are if we're describing them as simple in terms of gameplay how many interesting decisions are you making as you make your way from point a to point b if a lot of that's being done for you by the game itself yeah it's the old um criticism that a lot of first person shooters get that in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, there's, there was a lot of level design in a first-person shooter. There were a lot of branching paths and the like. And I think it was quite a popular internet meme amongst gaming circles. that I, I can't remember the exact games they used as comparisons, but you have one first-person shooter that shows this really large, open, I guess, space with all these branching rooms and corridors and the like. And then compared to that to a, a newer game, which was very much... It's a corridor. It's you're going from one end of the corridor to the other. And yes, it might be, I guess, glitzed up with the latest graphics and effects and the like and explosions. But you're literally just getting from one end of a series of corridors to another. And that's the game. Like there's, It's sort of simple in execution more than anything. This is interesting to me because I feel like at the start of this, we were praising simple games, saying that's what we typically prefer to sit down with after a hard day's work. But if I'm reading the tone right here, there's a little bit of negativity towards this. So where's the difference in these? Well, I think it probably comes down to a point. I think you've touched on, both of you, probably all of us have, to be honest, uh, where it's the underlying, I guess, depth. I won't say complexity because that's the wrong word, but the depth that the experience can potentially have which I think may distinguish a good, fun, simple to pick up and learn, hard to master kind of game that uh, versus, you know, something which is maybe on the surface more complicated to learn, but then doesn't get much more beyond that, you know? So again, you could, you've used shoot 'em ups as examples a number of times. Uh, there's a lot there you can learn. Uh, Tetris, again, you talked about in your video, Will, but Tetris, uh, I mean, if you've ever watched high-level Tetris play it is incredibly impressive and uh, not something one can just you know pick up a Game Boy and replicate themselves without years of, of practice um, again speed runs of, of seemingly you know simple platformers again you, know, you can just keep listing examples of how there is this depth in a lot of the best simple games that I think helps keep them to be fun uh, and addictive uh, which may not be present in say, some games where they are just purely a simple experience that you walk through and that's that's kind of it, I suppose. Yeah, and, and I'd add to that. I'd say that in the examples we gave of those, I guess what you term more complex cinematic games that when you dig down into it, they, they have simplicity to them that becomes a bit mundane, creates a bit of a tiring experience in some ways. It's the simplicity has acted. It's there's a delineation there. The simplicity has acted as a barrier, whereas in those other simple games, if we're talking about a puzzle game, if we're talking about a platformer, if we're talking about a shoot 'em up, there's 
the simplicity is is not a barrier. It's sort of it's the first thing you approach. It's the it's the first thing you find in that game that oh I can pick it up and I'm moving this spaceship around and shooting. I'm shooting those enemies. Like oh, I've got it. Let's go. And then it just builds from there. Whereas as Zach said in that let's say it's a first person shooter, I've I might be, have to figure out how the a twin stick um, control scheme works in a shooting game. I might need to figure out or. Oh, I have to interact with certain things in the environment. I have to move around in the 3D space. It's it's getting there. But once I hit that point, it's then, oh, these are just corridors. Or, oh, this is, like, I'm just going from point A to B and pressing a button here and there. It, there's a, my experience is being limited by the design of the game more so than, I guess, the other term, other type of sim- simplicity that we were discussing at the very start of this episode. I think there's a difference there. That prior form of simplicity we talked about, <clears throat> that is a ramp into more complex game mechanics, whereas in the other type of simplicity that we're talking about in a lot of AAA games, it's like you have that ramp and then it just flattens out. Like You've mastered the mechanics and now it's just maybe some reflexes, other, but other than that, it's a shooting gallery or avenue for flashy experiences that you sort of guide your character through without making many decisions i do feel like i'm being overly negative towards these triple a games <laughs> i do want to emphasize that there is a lot of value in them it's just not particularly my cup of tea oh for sure and again i'm sure there are fans who are gonna you know write well maybe but <laughs> feel free to write to us <laughs> and tell us how uncharted is actually incredibly deep and there is you know this if you do this you can learn how to speed run in five minutes but you have to master these incredibly complicated underlying systems that we just don't appreciate but i would certainly say that's the minority of of people playing them you know there's i i think there's something to be said about how do i i don't know if this is i don't know how to phrase this so feel free to take what i'm saying and make it make more sense uh if you can but um i think there's definitely some appeal to the initial sense that this is complicated and then it's not but it makes you feel like good for mastering it if that makes sense so i think the reason something like again an uncharted or like i don't know like a far cry or these sort of big blockbuster triple a games often are quite popular is it seems like a complicated game to most people and then they feel good about being able to master it and beat it and they that that feels like an accomplishment Versus something like, you know, again, a Souls game where, no, you really have to learn. <laughs> like, you can't pick this up and play it without, you know, if you haven't had prior experience with the with the genre, I guess. Um, and that's probably where I think a lot of tension right now is coming from in the in the community <laughs> with, with Elden Ring. Because people feel like, oh, it's a big AAA game. I'm, I play a lot of those. I should be able to play this. But but no, it's, it's actually quite complicated and you have to actually learn quite a lot and be patient and fail i guess a lot before you succeed um which perhaps they're not as used to i'm certainly not as used to myself i've i've, I've dropped almost every souls game i've tried and i'm trying again with elden ring but we'll see how long it lasts and there is none of that onboarding there's no gentle ramp there's no simple moments in that game other than the straightforward goal of go and do this and die a few times <laughs> yeah <laughs> embrace gift I think that's the goal of that game. Mm-hmm. But I guess there's also like, I'm just trying to think like broaden my concept of what simple games are and what aren't. Cause then you could also look at something like, I don't know, like a visual novel or a, a point and click adventure. And a lot of those could probably be considered quite mechanically simple, but 
certainly don't take off at least here in the west uh, maybe you know japan they're a bit more popular but i think that's also got to do with storytelling and that also playing a part and i mean that's that's no different to books right there are books that are incredibly complicated and hard to grasp and only a certain percentage of the population will appreciate them or you know movies and the like other forms of of media whereas maybe a simple cartoon um, can be more widely appreciated because the story is quite simple for kids but you know adults might appreciate it as well because there might be some hidden things there i guess why well, I, I don't know exactly what my point is but it's, i guess the what i'm trying to say is the f- the scalar for complexity and simplicity it's almost like there's three or four or five for particular games it can be the scalar for how hard is it mechanically to pick up and play the scalar for once you sort of i guess grasp that how complex is the actual experience going through it which we've talked about then you could do story i'm sure that someone could justify sound i don't know how music could be um complex or simple in some respects um, from a player experience but you could probably look at all those almost separately as barriers you know things that cause people to either really resonate with a game because of how complicated or simple it is or on the flip side bounce back and they're not like it because it's either too complicated or perhaps too simple for their personal tastes i think it's a tricky one because complexity can take many forms to me if i'm talking about a simple versus complex game i'm probably looking at the ability to master and what that would entail so just this concept of mastery over something and how long might that take or what's involved in that process. Like you said, a visual novel, um, let's look at something like uh, House and Fader Morgana or Steins Gate, incredibly rich stories. I wouldn't consider them particularly complex in terms of gameplay because for the most part you're just clicking through, but nobody would ever dare to say that they're a simple story. I've sort of lost my train of thought here, but... um. <laughs> Yeah, in, in terms of just playing a game for the complexity versus the sim- simplicity, it is a little bit too broad to just define in those two terms alone. So I feel like we're about 30 minutes in and still grappling with this topic of what, what is something that's simple, what is something that's complicated, and I think that speaks to just how broad gaming can be. Oh, we're peeling the proverbial onion. There's just many, many layers <laughs> there, I think, ultimately. One thing that I think is really interesting because I think we've we've bounced back and forth a couple of times. We said the you know whether we like or don't like simplicity, and obviously it's a much more complicated answer than that. But there is some interesting, I think, pushback in general by you know on average by the by average let's call them gamer, I, I guess against simplicity. You know, we see again games you know like a two D platformer or something get shown, uh, and people are like, how much is this? Oh full price this is too simple I, you know, it's not going to be worth full price or we were talking a bit before the show but like mobile games right like again there's this real stigma against mobile games because they're just simple pieces of you know garbage not worth worth your time um which isn't necessarily true and i mean there are other issues with mobile gaming which we could probably spend hours on but do you, do you think there's a, a can you think of why there may be this this sort of pushback against all this i guess perception that a seemingly simple game isn't as valuable as a as a complicated game Uh, i do have a theory and it could just be a theory but if you'd indulge me you know i'm i'm 31 years old now right now so when i was growing up games were really considered a very nerdy activity and there was like a bit of shame attached to that admitting that you played a lot of games 
And I think a lot of people around my age may have experienced that. So growing up, I, I always pushed that games should be taken uh, very seriously, that they're rich experiences full of, you know, lots of mechanics and, you know, they could tell stories, they could teach you things, all of that. So when mobile games started becoming the norm, like when everybody got a mobile phone and the install base was so huge that it just made sense to start pumping out mobile games. And the fact that mobiles mostly did support these more simplistic experiences due to the pick-up-and-play nature of them and the control schemes, I think a little bit of that identity that games were really deep and rich and complicated things some of that was lost when mobile gaming started to become the norm. And in do, and when that happened, I think some of that uh, identity that a lot of us around that time pushed for was lost with it. So there's this sort of strange juxtaposition between acknowledging that, yes, they're games and they're just as valid as any others, but they're very different. And this is, by and large, a very different part of the population playing these. So where is that identity then gone? I definitely agree with Will. I think there's that undeniable aspect there that it's very much, it's that idea of chipping away at the identity of, of gamers, that simplification, the casualization of gaming. And I think you saw that very much so with the reaction a lot of people had to the Wii. And yes, I think the three of us all enjoyed the Wii. We all participated in a Nintendo forum when the Wii was at the height of Nintendo's dominance of the market and yes I guess there was that period of time where everyone was a bit disillusioned and waiting for I guess what people would call the real games to start coming out again on the Wii but it's that similar phenomenon that oh it's just Wii games aren't complex it's all about just waggling a Wii mote and yes in some regards that was the truth like it there was that mundane I guess control scheme for some Wii games and it did feel like some of it was shoehorned in and it was just a bit of a gimmick, but I think that's just a simplification of what it is. And I think that's the case for a lot of mobile games that there's some that are quite deep. There are some that really could be on consoles as well and um, are no less deep than some DS or 3DS games. I think of, I think of the game Reigns on, well, it's on iPhone and Android that yes, it's very simple. Yes. You're the only real, I guess input you're doing is swiping left or right, making decisions, but you're making decisions. You have to be sort of cognizant. You need to be cognizant of what's going on around you or what decisions you've made and how it, how they snowball and what the consequences can be. There's actually some depth there outside of the simplicity. It's exactly what we were describing at the start of the game. And I guess not to butcher the term, but for simplicity's sake, it's that it's what we mean when, simplicity is used as a net positive when it's used as that ramp ramping up to a really rich and complex situation and uh, I think the other side of it is that a lot of mobile games inherently have that stigma because it didn't take long for a lot of it to just be I guess to cut a long story short it's just that cash grab element of games it's that free-to-play model that a lot of gamers aren't satisfied with it's a they believe it's just a shallow thing aiming at what what's termed as whales trying to get companies trying to just get as much money as possible from a particular gaming experience. And I think that's what a lot of us decry that sort of that goes against the heart of gaming. And yes, gaming is a commercial enterprise. These people aren't making games out of the goodness of their heart. They want to make money, but I think it's the most egregious elements that 
not even in just mobile games, in your AAA games that shoehorn microtransactions everywhere, that that's why a lot of people, I guess, get upset and really are critical of it. Just to pick out one little thing you said, you mentioned with the, the Wii gaming um, that we're all waiting for the, the real games to come out. I think that's really interesting because, you know, we can all acknowledge that even these, let's say, even these cash grab games on mobile phones, um, the most simplest of games, they're still real games. But when you say real games and during that time, like, we all know what you mean when you say that. So it's, it's really ingrained that there's a difference between a real game and something that you might find on a mobile or some of the shovelware that we got on the Wii. Despite that, though, they're all games. Yeah, I, I think it all comes back to your original point, Will, that uh, people want to distinguish themselves, I guess, as a gamer versus a non-gamer. Because before it was like you either played games or you didn't. Because that's, that's, yeah. that, that was it. And then as you know, games have become so accessible, I mean, the percentage of the, the people in the first world sort of countries that play a game of some kind is pretty high actually compared to what it used to be um but that that game might just be words with friends every day or it might be again wordle even like every day mm-hmm. or you know candy crush or whatever it is uh that they just do daily um and they might even play more hours of games on their phone than than we do in a given week <laughs> even though we would fall into that classical game enthusiast uh, category, I would have thought. And I think then, without knowing how to express it, uh, it has kind of almost become a... um, People have turned against simple mobile games because they think that's the problem, rather than, I guess, thinking through what the actual problems are, if that makes sense. Uh, Or they paint them in broad strokes, as you pointed out, Brendan, oh, everything is free-to-play, microtransaction, trash, when in reality there's, you know, some fantastic not free-to-play or even free-to-play with no microtransaction games like um, Florence, uh, which is a fantastic sort of uh, sort of visual novelty type game with some puzzle elements as well, which is on Switch as well now, actually. Um, but, you know, people don't, don't think of that. They think of Candy Crush. They think of, you know, Clash of Clans or uh, whatever it's called, uh, Clash Royale. And that's, that's what they point to as the problem with, with, uh, with mobile gaming as, as a platform, I suppose. Or even, you know, like interpretations of other games. Like, again, you know, Nintendo have put Mario Kart or Animal Crossing on the, on the phone. But it's, you know, usually laden with exorbitant microtransactions and is just, I mean... I think it's fair to say usually not a better experience and is generally a worse experience than the than the say the switch equivalent, which is a shame, but is what it is. I think there's a healthy amount of cynicism that we should approach these mobile games with, but at the same time, I think it's important to understand that when practically everybody these days has a phone, it is by far the largest install base of any hardware, so by making these games that are incredibly broad in appeal that anybody can download and play for free having microtransactions it's not intended for everyone to purchase something but by having so many people there it's changed the gaming scene because they just want to make the most sterile or perhaps that's a little bit too harsh but the most broadly appealing and often that does mean simpler game because it it removes the barrier to entry so I think that's why a lot of mobile games do appear very, very simple. And 
the sea of good games is very diluted with a lot of these, and I wouldn't recommend a lot of them. But if you do dig a little bit deeper, there's some incredible stuff in there. Well, exactly, and I think if you take away the microtransaction element of it, like, if you look at Apple Arcade, that, Mm. yes, it's a subscription model like your Game Pass, so once you pay that, a lot of those games that you encounter on Apple Arcade aren't going to have microtransactions. It's very hard to separate a lot of the games you find on a platform like that to games you find on, let's say, the Nintendo eShop or on things like itch.io or Steam, that a lot of those experiences wouldn't be out of place on those platforms as well. I think the barrier in many ways is being, I guess, lifted, is um, disintegrating. And yes, I guess there's always going to be that difference in control input that phones are based on a touchscreen control method and there's going to be limitations there. There's going to be certain things you can do on that that you can't do as well on a controller. And conversely, a lot of things you can do on a controller you can't do on a touchscreen. But a game I mentioned in our best of 2021, Zach, was um, Lego Builder's Journey. And that's a game that you can play on consoles, but it was originally released on iOS. And it's really at home on on a mobile phone. And similarly, if you look at the Final Fantasy Pixel remakes, those all release on phones. And I don't think they have been released on consoles yet. Like Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster just came out recently and is very highly regarded, has reviewed really well and is apparently probably the definitive way of playing that classic game. So it's slowly but surely the stigma is disappearing, I think, but there's going to be people that will always have that, I guess, old view of what mobile games were like in the at the start of the 2010s when all these companies were jumping on the bandwagon saying, oh, Farmville on Facebook made all this money or Clash Royale's made all this money, Candy Crush has made all this money. How do we also make all this money? What can we do to actually, I guess, exploit the player base and produce as many bags of money as possible in the shortest time possible? I think that that has done a lot of damage, definitely. Hmm. I, I do agree that it's definitely changing. Like, there's a massive battle royale scene on the mobile phones. I think it. I don't think it started with Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, but it was definitely inspired by that. Um, I, I know, what's, what's it called? I just, I just know it is massive. Like, the player base for these Battle Royale games exceeds that which you'd see on Steam. We've also got a lot of things like uh, League of Legends Wild Rift, which has taken an incredibly complicated uh, MOBA game and condensed it down into a game that you can essentially play with just your two thumbs on the phone, making some incredibly clever design choices to retain the complexity of that game while just streamlining it. And I was personally blown away by how similar it felt to a full PC game. Then you've got these RPGs that are unlike anything that you've seen on console. Though I think this might be on Switch now, but Cyrilim is like um, a Pokemon, but with this massive dungeon crawling and monster breeding mechanic. You've got Slay the Spire, you've got Legends of Runeterra, you've got Magic Arena. Like there's some really, really rich experiences coming to phone now. And I think it coincides with phones essentially becoming little PCs. Like the hardware in these things now is more than capable of running even GameCube games. Like I've seen Dolphin emulators on the Android S21 and they're running Super Mario Sunshine beautifully. Like these things that are in our pockets are changing the way we game, I think. And it's just taking a little bit, like there's a little bit of a lag because the gaming scene on phones for so long was just 
really dicey. I think it also helps that, like, everyone knows how to use a touch phone these days. Oh, not everyone. My dad still struggles, but, you know, he gets there. Um, Just through product of it being the standard versus not everyone has had to learn how to use a, a controller or a mouse and keyboard, which helps, I guess, lower that barrier of entry. Because while there might be some, comp- not complicated, but some things you wouldn't inherently know how to do if you were just handed a tablet or a phone for the first time and said, play this game. Um, since we've all, I mean, how many years has it been since the original iPhone came out? Like probably like 15 or more. I, I don't even know, but like a long yeah, time. I think it was 2006, was it? Or five around that time. Sounds about right. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't, other than maybe one person, we, we all know, I don't see many people walk around with a flip phone uh, very often anymore. Um, so I think that helps a lot because, you know, because my mum, for example, knows how to select apps on a phone, playing something like Words with Friends isn't that much more complicated because it's just, you know, touch tile, drag tile, that kind of thing. It's 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 super approachable in a way that it probably wasn't when she, she first got the phone or first got her first smartphone, but these days it's, you know, super easy. I don't need to walk her through anything when she downloads a, a you know, a, a simple game like that. I think it's also important to remember that you know, we're a little bit older than a lot of up-and-coming gamers. So there's probably a lot of people younger than us that haven't had that upbringing with an NES controller or a Super Nintendo controller, and their primary form of gaming since childhood has been on mobile phones or tablets. So it'll be really interesting to see as the years go on what happens with that. Will that become the primary form of gaming? Will things become you know, more mechanically rich on mobile phones. And, I mean, we're already seeing it now, but how far is that going to go? I mean, it's inherently limited by the control scheme, but we have these devices now that essentially turn mobile phones into, like, almost a a switch controller, you know, two little controllers that attach to the side of your phone or beneath it. Like, I, I think the days of, you know, mobile gaming, you know, with all those connotations that we have are probably near the end. Maybe that's incredibly optimistic of me, but I'd like to hope. No, I think it's probable. I mean, again, if we were in China, that's those days were already gone, right? Like, you know, <laughs> that's that is their primary form of gaming along with PC. So I think it's definitely a very Western thing to be as anti phone. Or even Japan for different reasons, you know, they've definitely transitioned from console gaming towards phone gaming quite quickly, uh, in comparison to again America, us uh, I'm sure England, etc. But I was also going to say there's something, and sort of to continue tying in the simplicity product concept. Sorry, not product. Uh, <laughs> I think it's interesting to look at some of these fin- like games that have been a phenomenon <clears throat> in the last, I don't know, decade or, or maybe a bit, a bit more. Uh, and a, and a lot of them are simple to play phone games. I obviously think of Flappy Bird, very simple to play on phone. You know, touch goes up, let go goes down. Uh, and then, you know, even something like Pokemon Go is a fairly, it's more complicated than Flappy Bird, but still pretty simple, right? Walk around, touch Pokemon, flick its screen to, to throw a ball at it and hope you catch it. And I think that level of phenomenon is not replicable on other devices just due to, again, their complexity. Obviously, they're lower um, install base by just virtue, again, of probably... 90% of Australians having a phone versus 
maybe like what 10 to 15 percent having a console maybe even less I, I don't i wouldn't know the statistics to be honest with you but i think that's a really important point why simplicity in games is still necessary because it, it can it is the way we get a broader audience of gamers to engage with the medium again i know we talk about younger kids and that's one aspect but again just older people again my I have a friend who's, again, mum who's in her 60s, still plays Pokemon Go every day. I mean, mm. and that was her probably her first proper video game that she ever played because of how just easy to get into it is. It's free, download it, and then how simple it is to learn just the essentials. You don't need to learn IVs, EVs, all that kind of stuff. Just the pure walk around, catch Pokemon is such an incredibly easy concept to understand. Yeah, I think it's a value that we should see in pretty much any good video game that it's just immediately fun to play. You immediately know what your goals are and you can just simply play. Like that's the joy of video games, right? Just the joy of playing something. And it reminds me of a earlier episode we did, actually quite an earlier, I think it was one of the sort of within the first 10 or 15 we did, Zach, when we talked about gateway games. And mm. I think that we can, we can't forget that we could be saying oh yeah because of the amount of people playing phone games and the amount of phones out there that's sort of the transition of the industry but i think there's that element of gaming that people will have those experiences and they want to have more they want to they want to see gaming develop further what limits it can try to break what, li- what sort of push things to the limit and that's when they start looking for more complexity. And yes, it might be those sort of games we've been talking about all episode, the ones that are simple to begin with and more complex to start with. Or maybe it is your more your um, Elden Ring sort of game that, yes, if you look at the play base of Elden Ring, it's going to pale in comparison to or Flappy Bird or to Super Mario or to, or not necessarily Super Mario, some probably Elden Ring's outsold some Mario games. But if you look at like Candy Crush or the like, yes, there's more people playing those games. But there's still a market for those more complex, deeper games. And I think that's always going to be there. And I think actually the interesting thing to consider that like I I thought of um, hearing what Will was saying was, and, and yourself, Zach, that gaming is a relatively young medium. And now we're going to have a generation of gamers that have grown up on these phone games. Maybe we'll start to have developers that the main games they play are phone touchscreen games and it'll be interesting to see if there's any differences in how those games are designed because if you look at modern phone games there's there's a lot of developers that probably cut their teeth first making console games making pc games in the 90s early 2000s and then started the transition to well making mobile games because that's where the market was going that's where the money was and that's where they got jobs in those sort of mobile studios so It'll be interesting to see if there's any direct impact there or if it's sort of... If I'm just exa- exaggerating the point, I don't know. I don't know what to say because <laughs> I agree <laughs> with you, but I don't know how to like turn it into a, the next thing I want to bring up. I might just do a just a flat-out topic change, if that's okay, Brendan, if you agree if, if with that. <laughs> I'm not surprised that I've left people speech, um, speechless. <laughs> I know that I go on many rambles, so feel free. What other concept that's... I think even more fresh, uh, you know, it's, it's it's getting it's getting big, has been big for a while, but I think it's still growing. Is I guess the just the concept of watching people play games, esports, and the like, and I think that's a really interesting 
thing to discuss. And we did have an episode of that, um, you know, a, a while ago now with a couple of guests. But why I want to bring it up in this topic is I think the simple concepts need to be strong in a game for it to be successful as like a, an eSport or something that people enjoy watching if they've never played the particular game before again. So like, let's say MOBAs, right? I think MOBAs are one of the, the most popular genres of eSport from a viewership perspective because of how, well, yes, there's a ton of complexity in terms of, you know, which, you know, when do you go fight this monster? You know, when do you go into the jungle and get whatever item from this shop and that kind of stuff? Uh, the, the broad stroke concept of the game of break these towers, get to the other person's base, break their, you know, goal is pretty, like, fundamentally understandable and, and easy to sort of grasp at a, at a face value. And you could explain that to anyone in two seconds uh, and then show them a LOL match or a Dota match and they'd, they'd probably ask questions throughout it, but they'd at least sort of understand the primary objective. And I think that simplicity is key to making a game entertaining to watch again if you've never played it. By comparison, I, you know, I have participated in and watched a lot of Pokemon esports, I guess, or, you know, video game tournaments. And that, despite being a, you know, often viewed as a simplistic kids game, because it's a very text-based RPG, it's not quite as entertaining to watch if you don't play or understand the mechanics. Because, yes, you get the idea, they're just knocking each other out, but you don't get, like, any of the concepts of why does someone pick, you know, this move at this point? Why would you want this Pokemon out here? It, it, it's just not quite, a, it's a bit too complicated to, I think, have a really massive wide audience to the same level as, again, like a MOBA uh, or even a shooter, which which just visually you sort of understand pretty quickly. Um, again, maybe with just your mate giving you a very two-second explanation of, of the fundamental concept of the of the genre or the game that's that's being played uh, again keen to get your views on i guess simplicity as it goes to designing a game to be watched not just a game to be played yeah absolutely uh with esports being as big of a deal as they are right now uh, having games that you can't immediately understand unless you know all the mechanics it's it's not exactly great for your viewership. I would actually challenge though that uh, League of Legends is easy to watch because I had tried and tried and tried without <laughs> knowing any of the characters' abilities and I could not make any sense of it until I dumped a few hundred <laughs> hours into that horrible game that left me very addicted. And now I watch it all the time and enjoy it a lot more. Um, <laughs> but I do think games like... Um, uh. We recently saw Splitgate, which was just so much fun to watch because the mechanics were so obvious like it was a shooter that felt good to watch because you could see what was happening immediately you could see the outplays you could see the people thinking ahead of their opponents and outplaying them that way and yeah with pokemon if you don't know anything about pokemon you're not going to get much because there's such a level of mind games and mathematics behind it so if you're not loosely aware of how that works you're probably not going to stick around and watch a few hours of competitive play so I think that's something that over time we'll probably see a lot more of. Not necessarily the simplification of mechanics, but making them easy to digest and observe and get a general understanding of as they're occurring. Yes, and I think it really does depend on the genre because as Will said, if you're trying to watch a MOBA as a spectator, 
I think it does help to have a level of understanding of how that game works. Yes, you might be pretty amateur at, let's say, League of Legends or Dota 2, and you watch a pro and you, you're sort of blown out of your mind. You didn't realise the game could be played that way. You still have a level of understanding of what's going on, of what it takes to play those characters or the mechanics of the game. So you have that hook, you're sort of, you have that level of understanding. Whereas if you look at it, let's say a mobile, let's say I'm watching someone stream Fortnite. That's pretty easy to figure out what's going on that, oh, okay, it's a shooter. You're trying to be the last one to survive. You're trying to kill the other players. Like, I could watch that and not know how to play the game and still understand what's going on, still understand and still have a lot of fun watching what's going on. So there is that, there's that level of accessibility there that I think does sort of make some esports or some video games to watch more mainstream than others. Like, yeah, I, that that element is definitely there. I think a really good example of this, um, outside of everything else that's happened, but Overwatch was probably, in my opinion, the perfect spectator game, just because every character was so well visually designed that a novice could come into that and get a vague understanding of how each of those characters would perform. And it was just so readable. Plus, it was a shooter with fairly obvious goals. So, like, almost anyone sitting down to watch it would, you know, I'd say most people would be able to understand how the game was flowing just based on the visual design. Yeah, I think that's that's actually a really good point because, uh, yeah, I think the distinctiveness versus, you know, if you had, like, uh, I can't think of a good example, but, like, I guess, like, watching Call of Duty or CSGO, which, I, I mean, are still incredibly popular, you know, games to watch, it's not always as immediately obvious, you know, like versus like one brown soldier to another like slightly green soldier compared to say, um, I'm talking about the clothes to be clear, not aliens versus <laughs> versus people. Um, but, uh, you know, again, like a, a May versus, I don't know, like a Zen Yada or I can't remember the names, I'm butchering them. Um, <laughs> There's been a little uh, while. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Mercy, there we go. That's one I remember. Um because they are so, again, visually distinct, different shapes, different sizes, different colors, uh, moves also look very distinct as well. So I agree that uh, it, it doesn't necessarily take that long. And you might not, again, like me, remember the names, but you will remember, you know, oh, that's the, the ice girl, or that's the, you know, angel, or that's the cowboy. Um, and that that's probably enough to sort of start to then pick up more and more as you watch, you know, game after game, if that's, you know, what you're inclined to do. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised that there hasn't been a little bit more like that, that sort of really straightforward game approach uh, with vi- very visually distinctive characters. I, I guess we've got Smash and, to a lesser extent, Nickelodeon All-Stars Brawl, but they're you know entirely different <laughs> genre, but I'd say similar ideas um, in terms of viewership. And even in Smash, you have your clone characters mm. that, oh, what's the, diff- what's the difference between, I guess... All those Fire Emblem sword <laughs> um, characters, yes, they sort of look slightly different. But or if you're an observer that doesn't have much knowledge, you might be, oh, all these characters have swords. Yes, I know mm. that's sort of the meme about <laughs> Smash Bros. But as an observer, you'd be like, well, what's the difference between Mark, Roy, and Ike? Like they all sort of True. they have big swords, and they. And I think it does have a lot of hidden mechanics that probably aren't great for viewership. Like, um, is it Mark? doing more damage if the tip of the sword hits them versus the middle and little things like that so perhaps i should take that take that statement back 
Well, but I think that is interesting because I mean, not to get too in depth on Smash, but I think, I think in some ways, I wonder if that's helped say Super Smash Brothers Melee become a more. Well, I feel like it has still probably is the Smash to beat in terms of how popular it was to to watch as an esport. I mean, it's hard to compare because like they've it's come up in such a different time span to mm. to Ultimate or even yeah 3ds and Wii U and the like competitive melee kind of boils down to maybe like four or five characters right and they're all quite you know unique you know it's like marth fox um you could probably you know jigglypuff maybe a captain falcon here or there but um or mario but there's not like it's not the whole roster right that is typically being seen at the high level of play so it's a bit easier to like i only need to understand that like you know again marth sword is you know stronger at the tip and that's a mechanic there or, you know, when Falcon's punch or knee is the best best used versus now when there's a broader pool of characters and increasingly complex characters, right? Like how Steve works in Super Smash <laughs> Brothers Ultimate is is not an easy concept to explain. Or even like, you know, all the DLC ones, honestly, they all have brought in their own non-conventional like mechanic. You know, there's only maybe Banjo and Kazooie and maybe one other that's actually pretty vanilla by smash standards in how they play which again makes it harder to like again if you're sitting there with your mate who knows nothing about smash and you're trying to like explain to them why something was exciting you'll find yourself you're talking throughout every single match because there's always something new to explain versus Mm. you know two or three games of melee you've probably explained all the key things and they'll sort of then just learn from that as they continue to watch i do want to say though um Forgive me for going off topic a little bit. While these newer Smash games may not be great for uh, esports viewing in that regard, in terms of just ease of play, if you give that game to almost anyone, like compared to say Tekken or uh, mm. Guilty Gear, though even that's a, a little bit on the more accessible side, people just seem to know how to play Smash. It's very intuitive, and the controls are very simple. And they're honestly my favorite sort of games because you can get in and have fun and start playing them, but then you peel those layers back and the fun of those games is just learning more and more and more mechanics that you didn't even know were there. So I think that is special. Like Even if it's not immediately obvious from a competitive level, just from an ease of play level, like being able to get somebody in the game and let them choose the pace at which they learn these difficult mechanics, Like I think that's fantastic. I agree. One very clever thing Smash does, I think, uh, even though, again, any competitive player will not do this anymore, but it's the fact that jump is mapped to the control stick. Because, like, in most games, you have to press a button to jump. But in Smash, it's like, no, no, no. Like, you move up, you press up. You want to go down and crouch, you press down, and then left, right, obvious. Like, I think that's very clever for a first-time person because... That is kind of intuitive, right? Like it is, yeah. you just press the direction you want to go. <laughs> and to be clear, like I would align myself more with a competitive style of play, but that's not at all to dismiss just playing for pleasure. Like there's a lot of people that just want to play the game and don't care at all about the esports or getting really good at it. And that sort of level of accessibility that anybody can play Smash, but then again, you could play it in that state of mind. Or you could go as competitive as you want with it. I think that's very special. Like, it's as simple or complicated as you want. I do agree. And I think ultimately that's why these games have staying power. That's why 
people keep on clamoring for new iterations and even the people that clamor for new iterations while they keep on playing the game over and over again they pull it out when friends come over they will boot it up and play online even though all nintendo's netcode is horrid so i don't know why you would play online (laughs) but nonetheless people do that and you just have to look at the melee scene that there's just something there's there's something timeless about how the smash brothers franchise really pulls those things off and I guess if I went on a brief tangent and you dug a bit deeper on the Smash Bros, I guess, fundamentals, like that's just the game design of Masahiro Sakurai. And I think that really brings us back to what we've been saying all episode, that like his game design is all about that sort of, that idea of simplicity first, but you build into something deeper. Like look at Kirby games, look at or Kid Icarus Uprising, look at well, Meteos, which is a puzzle game. Like these are all games that, or maybe not Kid Icarus Uprising because that has a barrier to entry up from the controls scheme My from the hands. outset, which <laughs> exactly that they had to ship the game with a stand because like like they realised that, oh, we, we've created sort of an abomination <laughs> of a control scheme. I love it. I, I think it plays fantastically, but like the fact remains that, yeah, probably some poor designs there, but he made a one-button racer in Kirby's Air Ride, but there's just something, there's there's a depth to that game that a lot of people miss, and when you play those games, you can just see how much fun the developers probably had in, like, just, it, they're very joyful games. I just, they give you that feeling of, it, it, I, I, I don't know what I'm quite trying to say, but there's just a... There is a joy to them. There's a spirit a there. A simple joy to them. Yes. But again, further to that point of, like, that design principle, you see it in almost every single Mario level that introduces a new mechanic. You'll get a very simple version of that mechanic something that's uh, very forgiving and they slowly build on that mechanic throughout the level until it's more and more complicated and more and more punishing but you always get that little trial before you start it i think that's the perfect example of that nintendo design philosophy where things will always start off easing you into something Uh, the barrier to entry is very low once you've mastered that you can move on and it just progressively goes up and up and up and up well, exactly. Like some some people derogatorily call that hand holding, but I think that's just a that that's missing the point. Really, it's really it's it's not holding your hand. It's building up the challenge. It's it's teaching you the game through showing, not telling. And I think that's game design at its finest, honestly. Yeah. Again, it's not always as you said. It's not always about the difficulty or whatever. Because, like, again, I, I look at like Celeste as an example where. It, it follows that same Nintendo-y principle of like introducing a mechanic and then building on it, then introducing another mechanic, building on it, and eventually now you use all the mechanics and build on them in a combination. But also an incredibly difficult game. Uh, so again, it's I think you know people say handholdy and they can be quite in a quite a derogatory way, and they always associate it with the game being easy. But I think that the wrong way to look at it because I don't think it's about ease of the overall game it's just about the ease of being able to understand the game in the in the, in the you know in the long run one thing that i find is again interesting i mean as someone who has tried to and will continue to try to dabble in in my own game design efforts uh, more so in the board game space but either way um is i guess this idea that simple ideas are just going to come harder and harder to come by at least completely new ones right just because 
the nature of the beast as time goes on as more games are made you're really going to struggle to come up with like a very simple fresh idea i guess does that worry you in a way that perhaps we will start to get to a point where we can't get both simultaneously fresh and simple experiences i guess as frequently as we used to in the past you know like again i think of Wii Sports is a massive, simple, but fun experience. And then sort of since that era, it's less often we're getting those from, from my view. Maybe you get on mobile, you get some, but not, not to the same frequency as the NES, SNES, uh, arcade sort of era. I think there's always going to be innovation. Like if you look at, let's take a genre, let's look at Metroidvanias. I think we can all admit there's a deluge of Metroidvanias. It's probably one of the, indie developers favorite genres to have a crack at like there's many that release every month and yes a lot of those are iterative a lot of those don't do anything new but there's still those ones that stand apart there's still those ones that have that just capture a uniqueness and are able to push boundaries in their own way like you look at something like metroid dread yes there's detractors of metroid dread but that does some interesting things and builds upon an established genre in some fun and new ways and i think you're going to see the same for a lot of types of games yes there's going to be an argument that you'll get to the point where oh this has been tried before or that has been tried before but i think that understates the ability for developers to retread old ground and find new directions to maybe do something that yes has been done before but in a bit of a different way or turn formulas on their head or merge different jo- parts of different genres into one like i we've seen that with the roguelike genre like that was a that's a very old genre in gaming lexicon that's and if you look at a pure roguelike there's sort of only so many things you can do but you've seen a i'd argue the indie surge in the last five years like five ten years you've seen a resurgence in roguelike games that probably some purists would argue aren't traditional roguelike games but use those roguelike elements and apply them to parts of genres that have been borrowed from um, other types of games, like action games or RPGs or what have you, and just have created new and, in many cases, wonderful experiences. So I think you can't count out creative endeavour. You can't count out people finding new ways to push boundaries. So maybe it will be harder. Maybe there's always going to be that jaded cynic in the corner that will say, oh, that was done five years ago and better in XYZ game. But oh, those people are always going to be there. Yeah, I think you can't discount just like the ability for someone to create art. It's always going to be just that little bit different, even if it's inspired by something previously. Putting your heart and soul into something while still uh, paying homage to an uh, older game or an older genre, like it's still going to be unique in its own way, I think. I would say a great example probably uh, is a video game, uh, a shooter called Dusk. So in many ways, it's a throwback to Quake, uh, Heretic, to even the original Half-Life. So much of it feels like those games, and you can clearly see what's been borrowed. But at no point did I ever think, oh, I've played this before, despite it playing so similar, just because it had such a unique vision that was like purely from this... Uh, I don't know how I'd say it. It just felt like an art piece that was designed with someone's full intention behind it. And they clearly loved these older games. And they've outright admitted that, you know, this is 
a game made to fill that hole that's left that that we don't have these games anymore. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting a little bit off topic here. I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but my point is that even though games may draw a lot of inspiration from games that came in the past, like just having that artistic streak through them and being able to trace the influences to me is really interesting, but also tells me that you know, I'm probably not going to run out of unique, interesting experiences to play before my life's over. I think if they stopped making games today, I'd still not have enough time <laughs> in my life to play all the interesting ones. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I probably wouldn't have enough time to play all the games I own. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. Anyway, play Dusk. Fantastic game. <laughs> uh, it's on my list. I really want to play Dusk. I know we've gone off topic, but yeah. <laughs> I regret not buying a physical copy of that game, actually. Oh, would have been nice. I feel like I know it. Does it have a subtitle? Just, yes. No? No. Just Dusk. It's actually no. in um, one of the Humble Bundles right now. Very, very good shooter mm-hmm. bundle if you like those old school shooters. It's like 100% my cup of tea, so you know, I instantly bought it. Gave away the codes of the game I already had to my friends. That reminds me, I still need to play in Medieval. Mm, so good. <laughs> so good. Right, now you're speaking my language. Oh, and Medieval's in that bundle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's time to buy it, I think. <laughs> That's on the bottom tier too, so <laughs> crazy good value. Oh, this bottom tier is sick, actually. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's only one tier. Oh, no, that, that's I've clicked the entire 10-item bundle. If I go to 3-item bundle, no, nah, it's not there. I think I do have to buy the $16, so I will. <laughs> well, I'll come back to what we said last week, Brendan. Spend money on good games <laughs> so yes. people keep making them. <laughs> and then they'd get bought out by Microsoft. Yeah, then may- maybe I shouldn't buy them on Humble Bundle then. <laughs> Go to the creator and put $100 personally in their pocket. <laughs> Tax free. <laughs> don't tell the government. Under the table. Yeah. You, you don't even have to give me the game. I'm just going to give you 100 bucks. Uh, just don't sell to Microsoft. <laughs> uh, that's all I ask. Well, is there anything else? that we want to talk about on this topic. I did have the pinball analogy in my video, which I thought was appropriate for the conversation, but I think we've veered far enough away from it that it's just not really needed. And people can go watch your video. Yeah, there you go. At the end. (laughs) (laughs) Or play that Space Cadet pinball game that was free on Microsoft um, Windows. There was a pinball game where you, like, move through time on PC. I used to play it at school all the time. It was like, you start in, like, the Stone Age with mammoths, and then you go to like the medieval age, and then eventually you're in space. Did anyone else play that? No, I have no idea what it's called. Ugh, I need to find. No, it. I've, I've never heard of that. It was like on like our one PC in the classroom in um, primary school, and like we would all just take turns playing it at lunchtime. Anyway, that was a bit of a nostalgia trip. <laughs> oh, this is going to be like that time we both um, had memories of that Pac-Man game, and we actually figured out what it was. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Which I've forgotten again, but it's on our Twitter or something from memory. It's um, like Pac-World or something. No, not yeah. Pac-World, but something like that. It's, it's a Pac-Man game, which I'm hoping I have a PC disc of somewhere that probably won't actually run on a modern PC anymore. <laughs> uh. Well, anyway, for a topic about simplicity, this has been quite a complicated and in-depth conversation. So I really want to thank both of you, of course, for joining me on this journey. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more we, we oh, I know there's a lot more we could unpack and maybe we will on, a, on another topic sort of touch on this this again. But, you know, as, as all things, we have to come to an end. And 
this would be a, a you know i really want to thank you will for coming on and uh exploring the topic with us uh, i mentioned at the start of the show you have a video on your youtube channel where you actually talk about points we didn't even really get to today do you want to give the audience uh, a plug of where they can find you online if you want to be found yeah i feel yeah. like i put you under the bus <laughs> to have to do that now but either way yeah, sure <laughs> um you can find me on twitter at at unicycles will and on youtube at unicycles game room yes and i i hope what i'm about to say is not taken the wrong way but I would describe your YouTube channel as the perfect definition of quality, but not necessarily quantity. You don't <laughs> upload like every day or every week, but when you upload, it's worth a watch from my experience. Um, so I definitely recommend subscribing to Will's channel and just, you know, seeing whatever plops out of his, his mind one day when he's got the uh, the energy after doing all these, you know, other stuff that he's got going on in his very busy life. Much appreciated. Thank you. And Brendan, if someone wanted to find you or me and tell us how we're simple idiots, uh, where would they do that? <laughs> well, my good friend, they can do that as always. Um, for me, they can contact me at Tamazoid on Twitter. They can contact yourself at Egarina on Twitter. If they have social media, they can go to at BlowcardPod. You find us on Facebook and on Twitter. You can email us at Blowing cartridge at gmail.com. Yeah, we never got that S, so it's not blowing cartridges at gmail.com. So I hope no one has sent emails to that address because I frankly don't know who has been receiving them. It's <laughs> definitely not us. And if you want to support our podcast, you can leave a review, leave a five star review on Apple Podcast. I believe you can actually review podcasts on Spotify now. So go there and give us a review as well. And outside of that, tell your friends, tell your enemies, force some people to listen to our podcast. Uh, we appreciate all the support we can get and uh, we're well into our second year of doing it and um, we just want to keep on plugging away and uh, keep on providing good content to our loyal listeners. So definitely get around supporting us. Yep, a simple call to action. Review us <laughs> and tell people about us. <laughs> well, until next time, thank you both for joining us and uh, continue blowing the dust off those cartridges because it's a very simple thing you can do to ensure they don't rot and get damaged. Except that it actually would damage them because your spit will go all over them. So maybe that was a bad message. Please don't sue me if I you ruin your game collection based on that advice. Thank you. And it won't save disc rot, so we're kind of screwed either way. So we'll let, on that point, thanks for listening. Thank you.